Welcome to the Faith for All podcast. This week, we will be listening to a sermon from Pastor Dana O'Brien's sermon series about the Sermon on the Mount. This sermon series was originally given between August and November 2023. We hope this sermon is both meaningful and educational for you. We're going to be starting a new sermon series which focuses on the quintessential teaching of Jesus on discipleship, and we know it as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, who here has read or heard or watched the Sermon on the Mount? And if you're online, feel free to put it in the chat. Yes, no, otherwise, okay. Okay, so, so a few of you, but not, but not a lot of you. But, but, here it, it doesn't matter. Um, it's three chapters in Matthew's Gospel, although parts of it, and this is kind of interesting, parts of it are also found in the Gospel of Luke and in the non-canonical Gospel of Matthew. Um, excuse me, the non-canonical Gospel of Thomas, okay, which I have never read, but which is probably the closest of the non-canonicals to the, the synoptics that we've, we're familiar with. But even if you've never read or heard or watched the Sermon on the Mount, you are going to be familiar with many of its sayings because they have, they have crept their way into our, our, our national culture. Things like the Beatitudes, right? The nine blessed are those sayings that, that we've heard about. Um, phrases like um, salt of the earth, light of the world, the Lord's prayer, the golden rule, statements about turning the other cheek, going the extra mile, phrases like sheeps in wool's clothing, throwing pearls before swine, advice to build one's house on a rock. Those are all, all found in the Sermon on the Mount, and those have all crept their way into, into our culture. Now, so much of what Jesus says in the body of teaching is familiar to us. And really, the sermon itself is pretty easy to understand. It's, it's relatively straightforward, but it may be easy to understand. It may be easy to, to see what Jesus is talking about, but here's where the rubber hits the road. What's hard, what's at, what's at times seemingly impossibly hard is actually doing it, actually living out Jesus' teachings on the Sermon on the Mount. So difficult, in fact, so difficult that one Orthodox Jewish rabbi says that the history of Christianity is a history of Christians trying to evade the Sermon on the Mount and avoid living according to its plain meaning. That's pretty convicting. And you know what? Unfortunately, it is right. Throughout our history, much of the church has tended to downplay the Sermon on the Mount or to give it meanings that Jesus never ascribed to it. The medieval church, for example, often taught that its teachings applied only to spiritual elites, priests, people in, in religious orders, stuff like that, but not to ordinary, everyday Christians. Luther saw it both as impossible to satisfy, so therefore it was intended solely to drive us to despair, to convict us, and to, to help us recognize our need for grace. Alternatively, and remember we're both end people, so Luther can come up with two different ideas, he saw it as something that we may live out in our private spiritual lives, but certainly not in the public sphere, because it's just not practical to live it there, okay? Some posited that these teachings will apply at some point to us, but not now. Um, and others just simply interpret it in ways that domesticate Jesus' teachings, thereby eliminating any of the challenging stuff, okay? You gotta wonder, you gotta wonder, why did Jesus say all this? Why did Matthew devote three chapters in his gospel to it if no one expects us to follow it? And so as recent scholarship and church leadership 
has rediscovered the importance of the kingdom of God to Jesus' teachings and the increasingly em increasing emphasis on Jesus' call to discipleship as opposed to just church membership, the Sermon on the Mount is being embraced as a vital tool of renewal and recommitment by all Christians. Bottom line, you guys, it is not just a bunch of beautiful sayings to put up on your wall. It is a call to all of us to live differently now in the world, to live out God's kingdom values here and now. Okay? So today, we're not going to get into it yet, but so, so we're going to do two things. First, we're going to set the stage for the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel so that we can just jump right into it in two weeks. And then second, we're going to talk about why it needs to be formative for us today as followers of Jesus. So everyone, you got your Bibles, right? Okay, if you're on your phone, wonderful, you're on your own. If you are using the red Bibles that we've got in the back here, go to the beginning of Matthew's Gospel. And if you're in using our red Bible, it's at page 1500. And you will see what's called... Um, well, you'll see what's called the Sermon on the Mount, and it's, on, it's in chapter 5, so you can't go to the beginning. You've got to go to, what, 1505 or whatever it is? Um, and it was called the Sermon on the Mount as early as the 4th century by Augustine. Jesus would have called it something different, and I'll ask you later maybe what you think that might have been. And as I said, it's found in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew's Gospel. If anyone out there is reading from um, a gospel that has all the words of Jesus in red, you will see that chapters 5, 6, and 7 are just chalked full of red. I mean, they are red all over the place. The only places in your Bible where you're going to find that much red, because this is Jesus saying all this stuff, okay? It's Jesus' longest teaching episode. Now, scholars, and, and we don't, I don't think we think about this much, but scholars are in pretty much agreement that this is a compilation of Jesus' teachings, right? Jesus didn't say this stuff all in one sitting, okay? He didn't just go up and talk to people and just hit them with one thing after another. Instead, probably lots of these things he said over and over and over again as he was going to different groups of people in different locales. I'm sure he didn't say, you know, love God and your neighbor just once, right? He said it over and over again. It was key to what he said. So every town he goes into, every group of people he talks to, he says it. So we, and we'll see as we get into this later in two weeks, if Jesus had actually hit his followers with all these radical and counter-cultural counter teachings all at once, their heads would have just exploded, because it's just way too much to take. So Matthew compiled these sayings into a large block of teachings, okay? So what you'll see is that the Sermon on Mount, chapter 5, occurs really early in Matthew's Gospel. He's got 28 chapters. He starts out with this one in chapter 5, and very early in Jesus' ministry. So now flip back to the beginning of Matthew. You'll see the chapters 1 and 2 recount Jesus' birth story with, you know, the Joseph and Mary and the wise men coming and them having to rush off to, to Egypt to uh, avoid uh, Herod's murderous threats. Chapter 3 is introed by John the Baptist. He comes on the scene. Then Jesus gets baptized, at which point Jesus is driven into the wilderness at the beginning of chapter 4 to be tempted by the devil, okay? Then halfway through chapter 4, John is arrested. I think it's 4.12. John is arrested, and Jesus begins his public ministry in Matthew 4.17, okay? And he begins his public ministry with these words, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, just to step back for a minute, in different Gospels, um, sometimes the phrase is the kingdom of heaven, sometimes it's the kingdom of God. Matthew, in Matthew, it's usually the kingdom of heaven. Don't get hung up on the difference. It means the same thing for our purposes. But do notice 
do get hung up on the fact that Jesus' words in Matthew 4.17 are exactly the same words that John the Baptist used when he was introducing Jesus, okay? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, when both Jesus and John the Baptist say the exact same words, that should tell us something. It should tell us that this must be pretty important. Whatever, whatever it is they're saying, we may not understand it yet, but it should be pretty important because both John and Jesus are announcing nothing less than the beginning of God's rule on this earth. God's rule has, has, is, now, is now coming into the world and, and is, is going to take over. Not, not yet. Not yet it's not taken over because we know that there's too much of the world's rule left, but one day it will be fully complete. So this is key, and we've talked about this before. We've talked about the kingdom of God a lot here, I hope, and I hope we kind of have a, a sense of what it is. The kingdom of God is the culmination of God's reclamation project for the entire world. It's really big. It is at the very heart of Jesus' preaching and teaching. And you may remember that Jesus talks about the kingdom of God more than 100 times in the gospel. Compare that to, to the number of times he talks about the church, three, okay? Which is more important, the kingdom of God or the church? Sometimes we get it backwards, all right? In essence, the kingdom of God means that in Jesus, in Jesus, in everything Jesus says, in everything Jesus does, we are seeing what the abundant life that God wants for us looks like, okay? God's kingdom is God's original blueprint for creation. It's the way he originally created all of us. It's how things looked before we messed everything up, and it's how things will look again when God's redemptive mission is fully complete at the end of time, when God fully brings God's kingdom to earth. And we pray for it every Sunday, and we will do it again later. You know, bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Then there's the word repent. Those are the two big words in that sense. Repent, and we know this too. It's not just saying you're sorry. It's not just a saying you're sorry for your sins idea. The Greek word means to make a radical change in how you think, how you act, how you live. When Jesus announces the beginning of God's kingdom here on earth, he calls us all to respond by doing a 180. Okay, not, not a full circle half circle, by doing a 180, by going in a completely different direction and reorienting our lives toward God. What he's saying is, realign your priorities, people. Get with God's program because God's kingdom is here. If we look at the message, and this is really cool, the phrase is simply translated as, change your life. God's kingdom is here. And a few verses later, a few verses later, we get the blueprint of how we live in God's kingdom. And that is the Sermon on the Mount, okay? So he tells us, God's kingdom is here, change your ways. People go, well, how do we do that? He's gonna give us the Sermon on the Mount. He's gonna tell us exactly how we do that. And then the rest of Matthew's gospel, Jesus is gonna show us by everything he does, everything he says, he's gonna show us what it means, what it looks like when people really live out the teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, culminating with, of course, his death when he dies because he loves people who are his enemies. He dies for people who are his enemies. The, the hardest, probably, yes, the hardest thing in the Sermon on the Mount to live out. So, but before that, before we get to the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus do something else really important, okay, in chapter four. Jesus starts selecting his disciples, okay? He starts, he goes, uh, uh, takes a walk along a lake, and he says, you, and you, follow me. And what do they do? They do, they follow him. They drop their nets. In one case, they leave their father sitting in the boat, and they follow him. Now, we know that the people that Jesus selected aren't the best and the brightest. He chooses ordinary people. He chooses, oh well, people a lot like us, right? To partner with him and to learn from him. And we talked about this a bit last week. A disciple's job is to learn everything about the rabbi they follow. 
um, to get so close to, be, to the rabbi, to understand the rabbi so well that, that they become the rabbi. So that when people see them, when people hear them speak, they are essentially seeing and hearing the rabbi that they follow. And of course, that remains the goal for all of us as Jesus' disciples today. So at the end of chapter 4, Jesus travels around Galilee teaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, and he, about how God's kingdom has come to earth in Jesus, and, and he invites everyone to follow and become a part of that kingdom. And so August, Augustine, Augustine refers to the Sermon on the Mount, he calls it the Sermon on the Mount, but Jesus would call it something different. A nice, a nice uh, trivia thing if you're at a party and you, know, you want to start a good conversation. What would Jesus call the Sermon on the Mount? And people will just flock to you, right? Actually, <laughs> all right, I may exaggerate. Jesus would call it the good news of the kingdom. That good news of the kingdom, that's what Jesus is talking about in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. And all of that leads us to chapter 5. And we read, and I'm going to start at the, at the end, the last, the last uh, verse of chapter 4. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him, followed Jesus. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, hence the name, and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And then for three chapters, he teaches. And he goes on and he tells us everything we need to know to be Jesus' disciples. And in two weeks, we're going to begin our deep dive into exactly what Jesus does teach them, beginning with the type of people who are welcomed into God's kingdom, the Beatitudes, blessed are those, blessed are those. And we're going to learn that this sermon is the most upside-down, counter-cultural bunch of teachings you will ever hear, which, which is maybe why so many people spend so much time and effort trying to avoid living them out. But here's the thing, you guys, and we'll talk about this in a lot more detail over these next few weeks. Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount are where three really important things meet. Discipleship, God's kingdom, and God's grace. And we've talked about the discipleship, we've talked about God's kingdom, but you cannot, none of us, can live, and we're going we're to be hit with this right away, we cannot possibly live out Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount without boatloads of God's grace. And so you want to hear about discipleship? You want to hear about God's kingdom? You want to really live into God's grace? That's what we're going to be doing on the Sermon on the Mount. It is the essence of what the New Testament is about. It is the essence of what we are called to, to be as Christians, as followers of Jesus, okay? Living according to these teachings is key. It is, it is key for all of us who claim to follow Jesus, particularly, particularly in the, in the really challenging times that we live in today, right? Times where, where our communities, our nation, our, our world are so polarized, are so divided over, over political and social and economic and all sorts of, of issues. That's when we need to go back to, to something that can be central, something that, that can be a rock in our lives, and that's what this is, okay? These teachings need to ground who we are, the kingdom values that we live by, which are so often, so often very opposite of the way the world lives. And, and I'm afraid we may find, so opposite of the way that some of us are living right now, okay? Now, I'm guessing that we have all heard Christians say that they are being harassed and they're being treated poorly, even, even sometimes persecuted by the culture around us here in the United States. And the implication, 
I think that's the, the implication, is that, that the harassment, the dislike, occurs because Christians are, are taking Jesus so seriously, because we're living the way Jesus said. Um, after all, Jesus did, did say to his followers that they would be persecuted just like he was. If you follow a, if you follow a rabbi who's put to death, you can probably expect the same thing to happen to you, although you know, we don't really expect that to happen. But I wonder, I wonder, what if, what if we've got it completely backwards? Okay? What, if, what if the underlying issue here is exactly the opposite? The, the reason many Christians are disliked is not because we're following Jesus too closely, not because we're taking him so seriously, but instead, maybe because we're not taking Jesus seriously enough. Could it be that, we're, that much, must, much of our culture's negative views of Christians is not because we obey Jesus all the time, but because we conveniently ignore much of what Jesus teaches. Indeed, Barna, uh, it's an organization that does a lot of religious research, recently concluded that American Christianity has largely failed because modern followers do not act like Jesus. We claim to follow a rabbi who called people to love, to welcome all, to turn the other cheek, to walk the extra mile, and yet so often, the culture around us sees us as exclusive, judgmental hypocrites. Why is that? Could it be that we're missing something? And so beginning in two weeks, as we delve into the Sermon on the Mount, we will be called to look into the mirror. Okay? And, you know, it's so easy to throw stones, and I think that's in the Sermon on the Mount, too. Um, but, but we're called to look into the mirror, okay? Each of us, to ask ourselves just, how much do we want to follow Jesus? Right? How much do we really want to follow and, and in the Gospels, some people say, you know, Jesus, I can't follow you anymore. This is just too hard. And so we need to ask ourselves, how much do we really want to follow Jesus? And, and if, if we want to follow him, are we in fact doing it? Are we following? Are we trying to live as Jesus calls to live? Are we picking and choosing when and how much we'll obey? Are our hearts and wills aligned with Jesus? We'll be hearing some hard words. Um, I guarantee, I guarantee that each of us will agree wholeheartedly with, with some of what we hear in the Sermon on the Mount. But we will also be ticked off, and we will often be ticked off a lot of times by what Jesus says in that sermon. And so we'll need to keep looking in the mirror because it's not, it's not a cafeteria plan. It's not a, it's not a brunch where you get to pick and choose. It's a package deal. When Jesus teaches us this is what it means to follow, this is what it means to follow. Bottom line, bottom line, you guys, and we know this. When we follow Jesus, when we actually live out the values of God's kingdom, when we trust, when we trust that maybe, just maybe, the God of the universe really does know what makes our lives more meaningful and fulfilling and better. When we live that way, we really do, we really do become better people. We become more joyful, we become more loving, we become more contented, we become more pa patient, merciful, peace-filled people. When we live in obedience to Jesus, our relationship with God inherently deepens. And, and it follows that as our relationship with God deepens, our relationship with everybody around us deepens as well. It becomes better, more authentic, more loving, more like God's relationship with us. When we really live out what Jesus says in this Sermon on the Mount, we become more human, all right? Human in the best sense of the term. We become more of the humans that God originally created us to be. So, I invite all of you, all of you here, there, to come with me on this journey. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian your entire life 
or if you're just starting to hear God's call in your life. There is something in this sermon that will speak to all of us, Something, some things that will comfort you, some things that will make you smile, and some things, maybe lots of things, that will really challenge you. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and that you're able to bring some of these concepts into your life. Come back next week for another episode of Faith for All. Faith for All was created by Cross of Glory Church. If you'd like more information on Cross of Glory, please visit our webpage at crossofglory.com where you can learn more about the church, see our upcoming events, and watch previous services and sermons. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Everyone, and we do mean everyone, is welcome to join us at 9.30 a.m. each Sunday morning for worship on our website, Facebook, YouTube, or in person at 14719 West 163rd Street, Homer Glen, Illinois. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends, family, and anyone else you can think of about it. Faith for All is available on Podbean, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, or wherever else you find podcasts. Todd Mazera created our original music, John Uzardo engineered the sound, Jeff Wanderson handled the production duties, and I'm your friend and humble announcer, Andrew Morin. Thank you for joining us.